0: Welcome to Hang Your Hat. This is episode 32, Household Budgets. It is New Year's resolution season, and this year, the number four New Year's resolution is to save more and spend less. Unfortunately, by the time this podcast is published, roughly half of the people that made that resolution will have already failed. On today's episode of Hang Your Hat, I'm going to try to fix that because we are talking budgets. I will explore several budgeting philosophies to help you find an approach that works for you. I also delve into some of the ways that U.S. household budgets have changed over the years. About a year ago, I made a New Year's resolution to get my finances in order. What that means will be different to everyone, but to me it meant I didn't want to worry about money anymore. I wanted to be able to comfortably pay my bills, get on top of my debt, and still have a bit left over every month to do things that I enjoy. I'm happy to say that over the last year, I have done that. I no longer worry about paying my bills or other necessities. I'm aggressively paying off my debt. And as long as I spend wisely when it comes to necessities, I have a bit left over at the end of the month to do things that my kids and I enjoy. I started this process by taking a financial planning class by Dave Ramsey called Financial Peace University which I think anyone who needs some help with money can get something out of, regardless of whether you agree with him religiously or politically. His program consists of baby steps which you complete sequentially, and it all starts with creating a budget. A budget is basically a plan to spend your income in a way that balances your expenses with your income. A budget allows you to allocate your income to spending categories in advance of actually spending, so you can make sure you will have enough money to spend on what you need or want. If, as is often the case, you find that you do not have enough money to do everything you want, you can use a budget to prioritize your spending and focus your money on what is important to you, whether that is your home, investments, or a vacation. A lot of people hear the word budget, and it seems like a bad word, because it reminds them of deprivation. Phrases like, sorry, I can't come out tonight, it just isn't in the budget, come to mind. But budgets are not about deprivation. Budgets are about making sure that you are spending money on the things that are important to you and not spending money on the things that don't leave you fulfilled in the long run. Budgets also ensure that you have money for the things you actually need and are able to do some of the things you want and get out or stay out of personal debt. In the words of Dave Ramsey, you don't have to reach the end of the month wondering where your money went. Doing a budget is simply telling your money where to go. Budgets allocate your income towards expenses like your mortgage or rent payment, savings like an emergency fund, and debt repayment. When you go to create your household budget, how much should you be spending on the various budget categories? Well, that depends on which budgeting philosophy you use. The most traditional type of budget is the line item budget. In it, you list all your expenses from your rent or mortgage to your haircuts. You also list your debts. It helps to separate your expenses into categories like food or entertainment to see what most of your money is going to. Then you list out your estimated spending for each line item. Your goal is to keep your spending consistent with your estimated spending. At the end of your budgeted period, usually a month, you list what you actually spent in each category for the month, and then compare your actual spending to the estimate. If you stayed at or under your estimate, you stayed within your budget. This method works. And it's a really good method for anyone that needs to keep a close eye on their spending. But it is especially good for people with major spending issues, or people that have no idea where their money went at the end of the month. It's also good for people that are trying to get out of debt. I really like this method because it will quickly show you where you are spending too much and can cut back. A lot of online budgeting tools also support this method. For example, Mint.com, which is a free service, allows you to set up a line item budget on their site. Their service will automatically update the amount you spend in each budget category when you connect your bank account to the service, which takes a lot of the work out of keeping a line item budget. A lot of banks also supply line item budgeting services for free on their websites. When doing a line item budget, I really like to know if my estimated spending is reasonable given my income. Both Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace course and Pete the Planner's Ideal Budget, which is online, give ideal percentages for your total income that should be allocated to every category of the budget. While their percentages are not the same, they are very similar, and both will let you know if you are spending way more than is wise in any given spending category. And Ramsey's will also let you know if your estimate is unreasonably low, which is great for those of us that don't like to part with a dollar. I already had a basic budget when I started the financial peace program. I generally knew where I was spending and how much I was spending. What I did not know was if my spending pattern was normal or wise. Was it reasonable to spend 7% of my income on utilities or 1% on clothes? I had no idea, but that's what I was spending. Ramsey's financial peace course had budget worksheets that had target income percentages that he thought were reasonable And those target percentages helped me determine if my spending was optimal. In some cases, my spending was higher than he recommended. And in a few cases, it was actually low. For example, my clothing budget was only 1% of my income. Knowing that he recommended 2 to 7% made me feel like replacing a few clothing items that were past their prime wasn't as much a splurge as a reasonable cost of being alive. Similar to line item budgets are zero-sum budgets. The goal of the zero-sum budget is for the money coming into your bank account, minus the money leaving your account to equal zero. Just like line-item budgets, you also list all of your expenses, including debt, with the zero-sum budget. But when you are estimating your spending, you account for every last penny of your income. If you have income that is not accounted for in your estimated spending, you put that income to use. It's often applied to savings, debt repayment, or investments. This type of budget is good for people that generally have a bit of money left over at the end of the month and end up buying random stuff with it. Websites like Mint can easily be used if you're using the zero-sum budgeting philosophy as well. You just have to account for all of your income. You need a budget, also known as YNAB, is also favored by those using the zero-sum method. But YNAB is not free, so it's not my favorite for those struggling to make ends meet. Most banks also have free budgeting services that can easily be used with the zero-sum method. The envelope system is not so much a budgeting philosophy, but a spending methodology that is often used in combination with the line item and zero-sum budgeting philosophies. The envelope method requires that you estimate all of your expenses, create an envelope for each type of expense, and then put your estimated amount for each expense in cash in the matching envelope. As you are doing your spending for the month, you pay from your envelopes. And once your envelope is empty, you are done spending from that category for the month. It's a really simple method that doesn't allow someone to overspend really at all. And it is ideal for people that tend to overdraw their accounts if they use plastic or checks. My favorite part of this method is that psychologically, it hurts to spend cash more than swiping a card. So people tend to spend less when they are paying with cash than when they're paying with a card. The envelope method is not ideal for people that live in high crime areas however or for people that tend to lose things really easily. You also need to have a pretty good idea of how much you actually need to spend in each category every month or you might end up dangerously short and no one wants to end up halfway through the month with no money for food. If you don't like the idea of keeping track of and categorizing every purchase a proportional budget may be for you. The idea is that you allocate a portion of your budget to major spending categories. There are a few versions of this type of budget and they all split up the spending categories in different ways. The simplest is the 80-20 budget. The idea of the 80-20 budget is that you save 20% of your income and you can do whatever you want to the remaining 80%. This type of budget is nice and that it is very simple. As long as you save 20%, it doesn't matter what you do with the remaining 80%. You could spend it all on gumballs or fancy underwear. The sky's the limit. I don't like this method because very few people that are starting out with budgeting can save 20% of their income right out of the box. You get to that point where you can save 20% by being mindful of your expenses and carefully tracking where your money goes. To do that, you need a line item or zero-sum budget. Similar to the 80-20 budget is the 60-40 budget in which you save 40% of your income and the pay yourself first method where you start your month by saving whatever percent you have allocated to savings and then you spend whatever left over. They both have the same problems as the 80-20 method. I mean, how many people can save 40% of their income without carefully tracking their spending? The 50-30-20 budget is similar to the 80-20 method, but it breaks your spending into three categories. 50% is allocated to things you need, 30% is allocated to wants, also known as discretionary spending, and 20% is allocated to saving and paying off debt. The 50-30-20 method suffers from the same problems as the 80-20 method, but it suffers from the additional pitfall of assuming that people can tell the difference between what they want and what they actually need. People can justify almost anything as a need given enough time to convince themselves, People may need a cell phone for safety or work, but very few people actually need an iPhone X. But I have heard, I need an iPhone X from an awful lot of people since it came out. I personally think the proportional budget method is good for people that are already very good at handling their spending and are just trying to encourage themselves to save more. That being said, a bigger savings allocation on a line item budget would also do the trick. The last budgeting philosophy is what I call the just-don't-spend-any-money-on-anything-that-is-not-absolutely-required budget. It doesn't require someone to track their spending since they are not spending on anything unless they absolutely have to. I have used this method, and in very lean times, I recommend it because it works. But it isn't sustainable over the long term because it usually involves ignoring issues until they become real problems and then those real problems are generally more expensive than they would have been had the issue not been ignored in the first place. For example, not getting standard maintenance done on your car, like getting the oil change, saves money in the short term because you don't pay the $20 to $50 it costs to change the oil. But not changing your oil can send your car to an early grave, which will cost a lot more than 20 bucks in the long run. In times of crises, like the time between losing one job and starting another, severe belt tightening like this is advisable. But if you are having trouble making ends meet month after month, just not spending money is not the answer. If that is the case, it's time to do a line item budget to see where your money is going and consider making drastic changes to your spending or income. If you don't have enough income to cover your expenses every month, then there are really only three possible solutions. Decrease your expenses, increase your income, or do both. To decrease your expenses, you need to know how much you are spending, and that comes with keeping a line item budget. Use the ideal allocation percentages to find out if any one category is too high, given your income. First, cut out the stuff that it's really unnecessary. If you are still getting takeout coffee regularly, just stop. This is also the time to take a hard look at your cable bill and cell phone plans, and any subscription services like Netflix and cut out or reduce where you can. You might need cable internet for work or school, but that doesn't mean you need cable TV. So cut that out and reduce your bill. Next, look at behavioral patterns that are costing you money. Start, stop shopping when you're stressed. Seeing the bill afterward will just stress you out more. Turn off lights when you leave the room and make the house slightly warmer in the summer and colder in the winter by using the air conditioner and heating less. Hang your clothes out to dry rather than using a dryer. Switch to public transportation if possible. And if that's not possible, reduce the number of car trips you have to take by combining multiple trips into one. Start meal planning and creating shopping lists if you don't already. And never go grocery shopping while hungry. Also buy store brand rather than name brand and check for deals or coupons. Learn to cook and stop eating out. Brown bag it at work and eat less meat or no meat because meat's expensive. DIY whenever possible, but do your research first. Sometimes it's actually cheaper to hire someone. Find free things to do on date night instead of dinner and a movie. Local festivals, student art shows, and the great outdoors are often great free alternatives. And for goodness sake, stop using your credit card. If you are still struggling to make ends meet after cutting the unnecessary and changing your spending behaviors, it's time to take drastic measures. Keep the air conditioning and heating off unless necessary. Switch your cell phone to a significantly cheaper carrier like Republic Wireless or get rid of it altogether. Get rid of cable TV and internet or switch to the cheapest possible plan. Use washable rags and napkins rather than paper towels. DIY cleaning and laundry supplies from things like vinegar and washing soda. Grow your own veggies. Libraries and agricultural extension offices even have free seeds occasionally. Trade in the high car payment for a cheaper used car or no car if you can get around without one. And downsize your home or move to a cheaper area, or take on tenants. Before you say this is just too extreme, no one would do that, I've used all of those tactics in the past to make ends meet, including living without air conditioning during a Florida summer. It may not be pleasant, but it is doable, and it can help you get the relief you need to get back on your feet. I would also like to point out that I did not suggest putting off doctor's appointments or routine maintenance. Because it's usually cheaper to catch a problem early on rather than waiting till you can't ignore it any longer. I'm also not advocating that you pay a bunch of money to break a contract. If breaking the contract will cost you more, than you will save by switching companies. In that case, just wait till the contract is finished and then switch to the cheaper option. If you have already cut your expenses to the bone and you still can't make ends meet, then the only solution is making more money. That might involve requesting a raise, getting a better paying job, or getting another job or two. Side hustles are also good options if working another job or two isn't possible. They are also good ways for stay-at-home parents or part-time workers to earn a few extra bucks. There are a lot of podcasts dedicated to side hustles right now, like the Side Hustle Show, that can give you some great ideas for your own side hustle. You can also make money from your clutter by selling it and getting a clean house while filling your bank account. The last big thing I want you to know about budgets is that they are living documents. Our expenses and income will change over time, sometimes in predictable ways and sometimes in surprising ways, and that is okay for budgets to change and evolve over time. Budgets can also help us plan for those events that happen at unpredictable times, but shouldn't really be a surprise, like the car breaking down. It's going to happen eventually. Even if we are not paying for car repairs every month, it's important to plan for that eventuality by saving a little bit every month. It's important for our budget and finances to be able to withstand the shock of an unexpected financial cost, but most American households are financially fragile and cannot withstand even a small financial stressor. The Federal Reserve's report on the economic well-being of U.S. households in 2014 found that 47% of American households would be unable to pay $400 for an emergency expense without selling something or borrowing money meaning that nearly half of Americans are one emergency away from potential financial disaster. You can become financially robust by eliminating debt and increasing savings. Dave Ramsey recommends you start by saving an emergency fund of $1,000 for most families, or $500 for really low-income families, and then start paying off debt. The reason that he doesn't recommend saving more to start with is that debt is costing your money every month. And even the most generous savings accounts are not going to be accruing interest at anywhere close to the rate you'll be losing money by keeping high interest debt. Once the debt is paid, you have all the money you are paying toward the debt to put toward savings and later investments. Budgeting can help you become financially robust by making sure that a portion of your income every month is allocated to first your emergency fund and then your debt payoff so that you will no longer be $400 from financial collapse. It probably won't surprise my long-term listeners that my research into modern budgeting practices made me curious about how people's budgets were different in the past. Fortunately, there is a huge amount of information available on the subject. In fact, there's a whole website and research project dedicated to the subject, the Historical Household Budget Project, at hhbproject.com. I also found some really great statistics from the Bureau of Libra Statistics. I was most interested in what percent of the total income the different budget categories, like housing and food, took up historically as compared to now. It turns out some of the ways that we spend our money has been steadily changing over time. For example, in 1917, households spent 17.6% of their income on clothing. That's a huge percent. If this were in today's dollars using the current U.S. median income, that would be about $10,000 spent on clothing each year. In contrast, the percent spent on clothing in 1998 was only 4%, or about $2,400 in today's money. The cost of food has also dropped dramatically, from 41.1% in 1917 to 16% in 1998. Just imagine spending almost half of your monthly income on food alone. How could people in 1917 afford to spend that much on food? Probably by paying almost nothing for transportation. In 1917, people spent only 3.7% of their income on transportation, but by the late 80s, we were spending a quarter of our income on transportation every month. Surprisingly, housing prices have stayed the most steady over time, hovering around 30%. However, there's still been an upward trend in housing costs. In 1917, housing was 26.8% of the household budget, and by 1998, it was 35.3%. I find these changes extremely interesting because it shows how industrial changes external to the home impact the family. For example, the ability to buy off the rack has significantly reduced clothing costs, and big agriculture was on the rise as food prices fell. It also shows that we have valued and been willing to pay for housing at about the same rate over time. I would really love to see if this trend in housing stayed the same over an even longer historical period. It's important to note that these percentages are based on averages. Currently, low-income families spend a greater portion of their monthly incomes on basic needs, like food and shelter, than more affluent families do. For example, the 2014 Consumer Expenditure Survey found that high-income families spent about 30% of their income on housing, whereas low-income families spent over 40%. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today and I hope that you all have learned a little more about keeping a household budget. I'm considering doing a follow-up on household debt and debt repayment. If that sounds interesting to you, please let me know. Until next time, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can leave a comment on hangyourhatpodcast.com or you can email me at hangyourhatpodcast at gmail.com. Hang Your Hat Podcast is a member of Patreon. If you'd like to help support the show, please consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com hangyourhat patrons will be able to read a transcript of this podcast on my patreon feed if you are not becoming a patron but would still like to support the show please leave a review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts or just let a friend know about the show and as always thanks for listening